International House of Horrors. Guests and welcome back to the International House of Horrors podcast. Your sanctuary is spooky for all things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre. I am one of your curators here at the house, Joe Merle, and I'm Josh. Hi, Joe. Hello, Josh. How's it going, man? It's going good. It's going good. And we're we've got a more relaxed episode this week after yes. doing lots of work for last week. <laughs> yes, last week was a little bit heavier doing an entire franchise. That's always a big burden to take on. I shouldn't say a burden, but it's a big undertaking. Yeah, it's 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 a fun thing to do for sure. But yeah, yeah, it is. Watching four hours of documentary to jump right into recording. That's Today I slept till 12 and <laughs> that's much better. And, you know what's funny is uh, I, I called it almost exactly. Shana said she was listening to us, and she started yelling at me for getting the name wrong <laughs> when we were talking about Krista, Kristen and Alice. And then once we finally figured it out, she's like, oh, my goodness, and now you're apologizing. She's like, I can't believe you got that wrong. I was like, I know, I know, I'm terrible. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um but yeah, it was uh, it was a fun episode. It was a lot of fun, and I even went back. It was a couple of days ago and rewatched uh, Freddy's Dead after we had talked about it. I came home from work one day, and she was watching Freddy versus Jason. She's like, "I listen to you guys talk about it all this time," so I decided to turn it on. And then the other night, I threw on Freddy's Dead, so it was good. It was a good time. All good things. <laughs> I, I got to uh, watch that as well. That's the one I've seen the least of all the movies. <laughs> uh, it's so goofy, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go back to normal this week, though. Yeah. And by normal, I mean starting with The Twilight Zone. And we are up to episode 23 of season one. This is another one written by Richard Matheson. And yeah. it was directed by uh, Ted Post, who did this one, which, man, Matheson... How many did you say it was it was twelve total? I, 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 I think we, even sixteen. Oh, uh, okay. Then we got to be getting clo- we got to be getting close to hitting all of them because I feel like the guy's written every other episode that we've talked about. Yeah. But a world of difference was like I said, episode twenty three, and it aired on March eleventh, nineteen sixty. And I'm going to go ahead and do the while you're looking at that, I'll do the opening narration yeah, to the exactly. best of my the best of my ability. You're looking at a tableau of reality. Things of substance, a physical material, a desk, a window, a light. These things exist and have a dimension. Now this is Arthur Curtis, age 36, who also is real. He has flesh and blood, muscle and mind. But in just a moment, we will see how thin a line separates that which we assume to be real with that manufactured inside a mind. There we go. Yeah, and I still couldn't find out which... uh how many episodes he wrote because I'm like scrolling through what he wrote and it's not in there for some reason. Like Twilight Zone is not in there at all, which doesn't make any, ah, there it is. Uh, 14 episodes. Yeah. Okay. 14 total. So I feel like we've hit 10 probably oh, already. So it's, it's even more difficult. It's 14 written by him and two based on a short story by him. So, uh, yeah. The uh, last- which we, we, we already did one of them that was based on because even Matheson said it was so different. I can't remember which episode it was. You, you, do you remember though? We talked about it. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, it was one where it's like just the, the idea is the same basically, but they completely yeah, changed. Yeah, but he it had up. changed. He had changed so much. 
and now I'm trying to think of which episode that was. Ah, yeah, we'll figure I, it out. Yeah. No reason to get stuck on that, but it is rare that the episode of The Twilight Zone we are talking about <laughs> directly relates to the topic of the day. Yeah. But I think, you know, they, and we didn't even plan it that way. Yeah. You know, we, we hadn't initially planned it. You had said something after we talked about it. You're like, oh, that would be perfect with this Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, shit. Well, yeah, it, it was actually uh, even more interesting uh, for me because uh, I watched, um, I, I had a friend, a listener of the show, Temba, come over and uh, she uh, and we watched uh, One Cut of the Dead, which we're going to talk about later on. And then yeah. following that movie, I asked, uh, hey, we, we've got some more time. Do you want to join me watching the Twilight Zone for the next episode? And then it was that episode. So it, it was like, okay, this, this is like a perfect coincidence to nice. watch those two back to back. But yeah, we'll get to one cut of the dead later on. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is yeah, a really so interesting episode. This It is. It's a good one. And you've got Howard Duff, who plays Arthur Curtis, who I think does a really great job. Uh, Eileen Ryan is Nora. David White is Brinkley. And then I can't remember his name, but he was the... He was Darren's boss on Bewitched, is his agent in this, the the same actor. Now I can't think of... Um, I've never seen Bewitched. You've never seen the show Bewitched? No. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Did you ever see the movie with Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman? Not yet, no. <laughs> yeah, don't watch that movie. Watch Oh, Bewitched was genius. That old TV, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie. Gilligan's Island. They used to play them late at night over here on Nickelodeon. They would have Nick at Night. Oh yeah. And during the during the summer months, they would do whole your whole week would be this week you get four hours of Gilligan's Island every single night. And then the next week you'd get four hours of Bewitched. It was brilliant. Elizabeth Montgomery was brilliant in Bewitched. Anyway, so the story itself, you got Arthur Curtis, who's we open up, he's planning a vacation, he works in an office setting, he's talking to his secretary saying, you know, did you call my wife or did you get the tickets? Something along those lines. Yeah, They're just explaining he's going that. on a vacation, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's getting ready to go to San Francisco with his wife. And I love this style of writing and just filmmaking in general because whenever they lift up that curtain and let you see behind the scenes, I always enjoy that. Yeah. Because when you watch movies, the goal is to get lost in the movie. The goal is to get completely lost in this fictional world that's been manufactured in a way that keeps you engaged. When they turn the camera around and you see 30 people all standing there, it's always so yeah. cool. And it's always it's always the exact same shots that you get in every movie where this happens. Right. It's always it's the camera panning and there's the people just staring into just the staring. camera. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's 30, 40 people on the set all just staring in. Yeah, And, and that's what we get with this episode. Really quick, it happens. So yeah. Arthur, he, Arthur Curtis is, is standing, and then all of a sudden he looks out the window where it should be a skyline and he sees a couple guys standing there and then the camera turns around and he sees that he's actually on a set and everyone on the set is like, what are you doing? Gerald was his name. Uh, the act, he was supposed to be Gerald playing Arthur. Yeah. And so everyone starts talking to him. They're like, Gerald, what are you doing? What are you doing? Or Jerry, whatever it was. And he fully believes that. He is this character that he's Arthur Curtis that he's not Gerald whatsoever, yeah. and uh, we, we up until the end we don't know which which is true because uh, they they make a, a pretty good case for him just being like uh, mentally having, ill, yeah, having a, yeah. a mental breakdown I think because he's overworked and he's had a problem with drugs before I think 
So they make a pretty good case of just saying like, okay, uh, he's, he's just uh, done for. Um, and he's they, lost they, his mind. Yeah. They, they say a few times, I think that, uh, that, that he already had problems finding work and that if he doesn't do this job, uh, he's gonna, uh, yeah, have even more problems. And then his, his wife or ex-wife comes in and is, uh, so she, every, yeah. his life sucks. <laughs> She almost hits him with a car. He runs out of the studio and she almost runs him over and is like, what are you doing? You can't die until I get all of my whatever, alimony or something. Something along those lines. She's pissed. She's really upset about yeah. it. And he's trying to convince her, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of the driver's seat. I'm going to take off driving. And so he gets in the car and his goal is to drive to what he believes is his home. Yeah. And they they take off together. They go to where he thinks his home is going to be. It doesn't exist. So she ends up taking him to their real home in Beverly Hills or whatever it is. Real nice house. And that's when his agent shows up. And I wish I could. Damn, I wish I could remember that. Uh, I wish I could remember that guy's name. Which Wait, which actor he it's is. It's uh, David White. Uh, okay. He's uh, Oh, you're right. Yep. He, Larry Tate on Bewitched from 64 to 72. Man, Bewitched ran for a long time. <laughs> I was, uh, man, Bewitch is good. You got to watch these old shows, Joss. <laughs> so he starts, he starts talking to him and they're, they're showing him the script for the show. Like this is happening. This is exactly what you think is happening, but it's all been written down. And he runs back to the, the, the set and everything's kind of being taken apart after his agent told him, Hey, we're, it's done. Like production shut down. You've ruined everything. He goes back and then miraculously out of nowhere after he has this moment of, you know, don't don't leave me in this horrible place. Like, I want to be in this fictionalized world. And he just disappears. He's just yeah. gone. Yeah. Well, be before that, he actually meets his wife again. And uh, the, the hotel, uh, the, the office room is again the normal office room. And he walks out with his wife, and then the agent comes back and sees like, "Oh right, right." Where, where'd he go? Oh, uh, well, we didn't see him leave, and then uh, he he simply gives up. Okay, <laughs> right, <He> disappeared. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. He's gone, and yeah, because his secretary is back to normal as well, or at yeah. least she seems to be existing in this fictionalized world of Arthur Curtis. So he is he's gone, and that's where the episode kind of wraps up is the fact that he disappeared. He took off with his wife. They're going on vacation. They're yeah. going to San Francisco. And like, this is such a scary thought. Like, if you think about this, I think it's one of the most scary episodes uh, of the Twilight Zone once you think about it. Like, imagine after we're done recording, you get up, you try to leave your, your room, and suddenly there's a camera team because this was yeah. all just a movie and you don't remember any of it. <laughs> That would be so fucking... You're right. That's awful. And and I think it was... Serling said something along the same lines with the Mirror Image episode in that the scariest idea is there's somebody else out there living your life and nobody believes you. Yeah. Like, nobody believes you when you're the only person... Maybe it wasn't that episode, but one of the episodes he said... When you're the only person who sees something happening, but nobody around you believes you, that's oh, it, a scary. It, it was thought. the one with the with the guys uh, who came back from space. And, oh yes, uh, yes. Then one after the other disappeared. Well, which one was that? I shot a rocket in the. Maybe I shot a rocket in the air. I shot I, I, an arrow into the sky. 
I, I don't think that was it. Wait, let me let me see. We're, we're, we're spending a lot of time looking know, up looking, things today. Looking up things that we should know. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, no, the, I know you. I know you're right about the episode. Yeah, and the about four which of us are no. That's the one with the faces. Um, yeah, that wasn't that one either. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you can't find it. But the idea of that, like you said, is very scary. Of the whole world around you, and that's the thing. What was I listening to the other day, or what was I watching? Where somebody had made a comment about being crazy. And they said the worst thing about being crazy is that you can't be crazy and sane enough to self-diagnose yourself. So you'll yeah. never know that you're the crazy one yeah. you know, because you don't have both the ability to be crazy and to realize that you're crazy at the same time. So it's, this is a really good episode. And you're right. It, it it plays well across the board with the theme of the episode and also really well executed because they did a lot of traveling in this one. Where yeah. they were in the cars driving and then a couple different locations, which is always cool. Because with a lot of the Twilight Zone, you'd get a pretty isolated location yeah, for the most part. And mostly like uh, like shot in like studios, like in, in small rooms. And this is like, yeah, up out in the open. He's he's using lots of uh, lots of times he's using the car and driving to places. Right. Even though I'm, I'm not sure how he would know to even find his home since he's in some studios somewhere and I'm not sure. I, I think they cut out the scene where he pulls out a map and looks where he has to drive. <laughs> right. And the Where's episode my house was, uh, and when the sky was opened, by the way, I found it. Oh, when the sky was opened. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, very good episode and it's very well acted. I liked uh, his performance at Howard Duff. I don't know what else he's done, but he did a, a really good job. It looks like he just did radio and, and stage and TV but let's uh, let's do the closing narration for this episode. I will do my best here. The modus operandi for the departure from life is usually a pint box of such and such dimensions, and this is the ultimate in reality. But there are other ways for a man to exit from life. Take the case of Arthur Curtis, age 36. His departure was along a highway with an exit sign that reads, This way to escape. Arthur Curtis, en route to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> it, so much fun I, I love that he literally ends every episode with somehow them going in or being in the twilight zone it's yeah <laughs> you know the i will give him i don't know if he wrote them or who wrote them but a lot of the opening and closing narrations are so good yeah they really give you a lot about the episode and next week we will be talking about long live walter jameson so if you are following uh, following along with us, that is going to be our episode next week, and it is a uh, it's a fun one. It is actually, I say that about all of them. I just got to stop saying <laughs> well, that well, because they, uh, they are all. So we should repeat yeah. it that people actually should watch them with us and not just listen to us talking about them because that takes away something about it. <laughs> right, and it's um, and the next one, yes, is very good. One that I enjoy a lot. <laughs> so we uh, will be talking about that next week if you are following along with us. But for now, we'll move on to the topic of the day. Which and really fits into what we just yeah. talked about. Because yeah, almost perfectly. We're talking about horror movies uh, about making movies or that have in some way are an element, have an element of making a movie in them, I'd say. Yes. <laughs> so making a movie in a movie. Yeah. Kind of a the same thing. The meta level of and... As we talked about this, Shayna had given me a few ideas of movies, but 
for me, this was because she had brought up, well, what about Hell House LLC, which is an amazing movie that I, I thoroughly enjoy. I, I think it's a great Halloween movie. It's just great found footage movie. But in order to qualify, for me, they had to actually be making some sort of a movie. So it wasn't just found footage. Yeah. That they set out with the goal of accomplishing, creating a finished product, some sort of finished product, horror product. Yeah, exactly. That's the, the same that I was going for as well. Uh, one thing I just want to mention at the beginning, because it's not a horror movie at all, but uh, it's about the making of, uh, like, it's it's just one of my favorite movies. It's uh, Ed Wood uh, oh, yeah. by Tim Burton, which isn't a horror movie, even though, uh, yeah, it's it's got Bela Lugosi. It's got... Uh, it was technically about making... Was he trying to make a horror? I mean... That, yes. That's what I was thinking while I was talking about it, yeah. Well, at least Plan 9 from Outer Space, it has like the undead coming back, right? So it's not right. just sci-fi. It's he did, yeah. But his movies weren't scary. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And what was her name? Vampira. Uh, Vampira, right? Was yeah, the woman I think who played? Vampira, yeah. Who played in Plan 9 from Outer Space? But this movie is always worth mentioning. Just if you've never seen it, you need to watch it for Landau's performance as Lugosi, because the guy won the Oscar deservedly for yeah. that performance he's so good in Ed Wood and one of Tim Burton's best movies yeah for easily sure. one of his best you know I think my personal favorite will always be 89 Batman <laughs> just because it's it, it, one it's a great movie and two I'm a Batman fanboy yeah but yeah Ed Wood is and one of Johnny Depp's best performances for sure yeah he plays he, he plays in, that really well in his early years like in the 90s he really went into these roles and like became a different human by now and now he's mostly just doing like his his shtick like it's mostly like a johnny depp character you know but in these times like he played ed wood believably like yeah oh absolutely you, i mean all the stuff like you said he was doing back then before he went kind of crazy even though i do like his performance in tusk and i think he played the same character in, in yoga hosers the detective, the the French Canadian inspector, yeah. like in, like I, an I, Inspector Cousteau type seen character. Tusk. I haven't seen Tusk, but yeah, he's the same guy in uh, in Yoga Hosers. I've seen how that have one. You, how have you seen Yoga Hosers, but haven't seen Tusk? Well, Yoga Hosers was on Netflix over here, just like uh, came okay. out for free, and Tusk never did. I don't know where I can even get Tusk. <laughs> uh, I like Tusk a lot with my anything with Michael Parks. And the stuff that Kevin Smith did with Michael Parks, Red State, he was so good. Red and State then in, is really good. Yeah, in Tusk, he plays the same uh, same kind of just lunatic type character, <laughs> if not a little more reserved. So we're talking about <laughs> movies being made in movies. But you said you had a few more lined up. There were four movies that we decided on, and we should preface it by saying we're going to talk about one cut of the dead at the end. I had mentioned this on those movie guys for anyone who listens to both shows. You, If you haven't seen this movie, there's no way for us to discuss it without spoiling this movie. So we're going to get to that one at the, the very end. If you haven't seen it and are interested, please take the time to turn the podcast off. Watch that movie. If you're in the States, I know it's on Shudder. I don't know if it's available anywhere else. You could probably buy it or rent it on Prime or iTunes. But I think as far as streaming, it's exclusively on Shudder right now over here. And I don't yep. know where you watched it. You guys get stuff on on different 
outlets than we do. Yeah, for me, it was on Amazon. And actually, it, it was uh, to rent in HD for $4.99 or to buy for $5.98. So I just bought it right away. <laughs> that was a good choice because it's one that'll be fun to go back and watch again. Yeah, for sure. So, yes, once again, One Cut of the Dead is going to be at the end. If you haven't seen it, please, if you're interested, take the time to watch it before listening to us because it's such a great experience. The less you know. The yeah. less you know about this movie, it's very cool. So, all right, I'm going to let you kind of lead things. You can lead us through our our movies that we have lined up since you said you had a few more. So yeah, just okay. hit it, man. Start laying it on me. So uh, let, let's talk about the first one because that's the, the one that I know the remember the least about to talk about. It was just the first one that popped into my head when I was thinking about horror movies, about making a movie, and that's uh, Scream 3. Yes. Because I think in that one, that's like we have Scream 2, where there's actually uh, the stab movie running in theater. But Scream 3 is actually set on the set of Stab 7, I think. No, I thought it was I thought it was earlier stabs. I thought it was Stab 3. I'm pretty Sta sure it was Stab 3. Oh, right. Mm Stab 4 opens with all the other uh, with all the other Stab movies. Right. Uh, right. You Scream 4. Yes. Yeah, yeah opens yeah. with all the other ones. So this one, yes, they are on the set of Stab 3, which is in this universe, they've now been making movies for a while. And the thing with Scream is Wes, I like to believe. And who wrote Scream? Was it Kevin Williamson? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which he did. I mean, Kevin Williamson, you can see his hand on things. The dude has a very unique voice when it comes to 90s horror specifically. But he, he, I think he, he was attached to it. I don't know if he was part of Scream 3 or not. Uh, no, this was written by Aaron Kruger. I think you'd say it, Aaron, E H R E N. Seems like Aaron. It's yeah. kind of a cool way to, a uh, cool way to spell Aaron. So, we now have Nancy, or not Nancy, damn. <laughs> That's another still, Wes Craven project, yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's still early in the morning, I, I promise. Uh, Sydney, so you have Sydney Prescott, and well, the movie opens up with Cotton Weary getting murdered. He starts getting calls, he goes back home to where his girlfriend is, and the whole movie where Scream 3, I think, does work well, is that you get the amazing relationships between the on-screen characters who are playing the characters who we are were introduced to in the first couple of movies. Yeah. And so you get this kind of outside of I can't remember who Jenny McCarthy was playing. She was playing somebody. Patrick Dempsey's there for a little bit. The best is Courtney Cox. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the woman who played the Courtney Cox character. But she was fantastic. Them running back and forth with each other is so good. But the the beauty of Scream 3 is that they actually put us back in Woodbury. This is the one where we're back in Woodbury. And you actually have her house. The whole sets are all put up. They're designed. And now we have these characters fighting for their life back and forth and so trying to figure out who the killer is. So we're not in actual Woodsbury. We're on the set of Woodsbury. Right, right, the set of Woodsbury. But it's her house from, yeah. from the, the first movie. Or yeah, exactly. maybe, was it her house and the house where the party happened? It's been a while since I've seen Scream 3. I've seen it quite a few times, but... Whenever I want a Scream movie, I don't go to Scream 3. It's usually yeah, the last. It's not the best of the movies. I think no, for most not. people, it's actually the, the least uh, of the movies. And I I can't say I, I have seen it 
a year ago or two, but I watched all the Scream movies like in one big sitting, so I'm kind of... I, I know some things, but uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you right off the bat who the killer is at the end. Yeah, it's so it ends up... You get into some weird... I guess spoiler alert for anybody who who hasn't seen Scream 3, but you get into some... Oh, it was Parker Posey. That's who played Gail Weathers in Stab. And her and Courtney Cox together are wonderful. But you get into some weird things with Scott Foley, who he was... How did it go? Now I'm trying to even remember it. I know he's one of the killers... And they discover that Nancy's mom had been exploited in Hollywood by Lance Henriksen. He was yeah. a big producer type. I'm trying my best to just recall this <laughs> from memory without reading. I know he was a big producer type. And they discover in somebody's house some secret rooms screw where weird Hollywood sex parties it had. And then I feel like Scott Foley blames Sydney for something that he was like her brother long lost brother some shit like that I, yeah, I don't, it's, they're, they're getting really complicated in this one right but it's also full of cameos like roger corman plays the studio executive uh i think jane silent bob appear in the movie <laughs> yeah that's this somehow this is tied to how they got wes craven in one of their movies <laughs> it was and so yeah, Roman shoots Sydney. Now I'm trying to read it. Roman shoots Sydney in the chest, seemingly killing her while preparing for Gail and Dewey to arrive. Sydney disappears, giving her the upper hand to stab Roman in the back. <clears throat> As he slowly dies, Sydney shows him that she too was wearing a bulletproof vest. Then she she then plunges Roman's knife into his chest, apparently killing him. So yeah, it was Roman, but I can't remember exactly why. I, there was something, yeah, they were a half-brother. So he admits to being Sydney's half-brother, born to their mother, Maureen Prescott, when she was in Hollywood. Four years ago, he had unsuccessfully tried reuniting with her. Bitter over the rejection, Roman would film all the men she philandered with. He showed Billy Loomis the footage of his father with Maureen, which motivated him to kill her. So Roman gave Billy the ammunition for the first movie. He essentially set up the events of Scream 1 and 2. Ah, yeah, okay. okay, so they they made it all a bigger story than it actually was. <laughs> right, they tied it all the way back into the beginning. I just remember them being related and him being the killer. He was the director of Stab 3. Okay, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, yeah, the, that whole movie, it's it's still fun, I would say. But, uh, yeah, it's not one of the of the best Scream movies. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'll, yeah. I'll watch it. and every, Probably every couple of years I'll throw it on when I go through all the Scream movies. But, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not the best in the franchise for sure. Yeah, and uh, so let's let's go on to the next one. I think the next one I, I sent to you was um, uh, one of my favorite movies that I uh, found by accident, uh, Behind the Mask. Uh, the Rise of Leslie Vernon. The Rise Vernon. of Leslie Vernon. Oh, the movie is so good. So good. And it came out in 2007. They did a big 10-year anniversary a couple of years ago that was cool. They did a new release. I don't know. Why I'm, Why is my computer making sounds? <laughs> um, usually that doesn't happen. I don't know why it's showing me this. Yeah, and often it's it's a bad sign. I hope uh, not any of the audience. No, gets it, lost. No, it just <laughs> popped up like my phone is on, and it's showing me like, hey, this is how much screen time you've used this week, which is 
bizarre because everything's connected. So behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon from 2007, even though IMDb says 2006, I swear yeah. it was 2007. Yeah, Maybe it was I, I think this is one of got, those that got a small release in 2006 and then really got big in 2007 when it came out on DVD. Yeah, I think you're right. And this is another one where if you have not seen this movie, I, I mean, even though I feel like we could still talk about it and you'd still really enjoy it. Yeah. It's such a it's such a weird concept where a a killer, an up and coming horror slasher type character gives this documentary film crew access to his life to document his rise to being one of the greats. Yeah. And what what makes this movie so unique is that he lives in a world where Jason is real, Michael is real, Freddy is real. All of your great on-screen slashers are real. They exist in this universe. Yeah, and he's not just a normal serial killer. No, he's actually like uh he he shows us how Michael does it like we we get behind the scenes looks at like uh, how so good. how the door behind so someone good. closes and then there's someone standing just in the back and then disappearing again. Like yes. we get behind the scenes footage of that and like how to find the perfect girl uh, to kill. How to find the perfect final girl. One of my favorite moments in this entire movie is where he goes to the library and plants the fake news articles. <laughs> yeah. Because you always see that in movies where they do their research and they're like, oh, look at this article from 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this explains everything. So he actually goes into the library and sets this stuff. And right before, I think it was the same scene, the library scene, where she's going in or and he's in the bushes and he's and, like, watch this, watch this. I'll make a noise. I'll stand here for just a second. Then I'll go hide right over here. So she thinks she sees me for a moment and then I'll be gone. All I, I of think the, that's uh, that, that's when she's still at at her work where she also oh, goes restaurant. out to throw yeah. out the trash. And like he knows You're she right. always uses this one prick. So he, right. he ties something around it and pulls it out. Or lets the director of the documentary actually pull it out. Right. Yeah, it's it's just so uh it's, it's brilliant. It's really funny. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's it's an analysis of horror movie tropes since the dawn of the slasher slasher movie and it's a full on it's it explains everything. It explains everything even better than say Cabin in the Woods. I like the way Cabin in the Woods did it where they said, "Okay, raise the temperature in the woods so they start taking their clothes off. Release yeah. the pheromones through the bushes or the the knives that have the electric shock in it." Cuz if you go back and watch the original Halloween, Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis drops the knife right at the end of the movie <laughs> for reasons unknown. Like why would she drop that? <laughs> and so Cabin in the Woods did a good job, Behind the Mask did an amazing job of yeah, showing you how it all happens they somehow managed to do it without um like they, they they clearly were making jokes but they were still paying homage to the movies and not making fun of them like right. they, they were just making it out to look that that's how they do it like <laughs> and right. also that he he has to train a lot and do a lot of cardio because he has to look like he's always <laughs> just walking right and slowly stuck in it's it's a brilliant movie, and uh, it takes a twist that I think we better not spoil. Yeah, but yeah, for it's sure. It's not just a, a, a comedy about uh, how a slasher villain would rise to fame. No, there, this has some good horror elements as well. Yeah. Some really good, some really good horror, and you've got some genre heavy hitters in there. Robert Unglund's there. Zelda Rubenstein's in there. 
Scott Wilson does a great job. He plays Eugene, which you had brought to my attention. There is a theory out there that he's actually Billy from Black Christmas. Yeah. And he was he was that character. Yeah, that's that's also funny because he's like, I think when we meet him, he just came out of this like a box where he would just lay uh, lay down and sleep for like days for yeah. for some reason to to train himself. <laughs> Almost like a coffin or something. Yeah, he's just in this He's in this box, but it's it, it's so hard to truly articulate how good they did at examining the horror genre within a movie and yeah. making this documentary movie. And I love the Leslie Vernon mask. Like I would yeah. I would take a whole Leslie Vernon movie. Yeah. If you were to give me just a straight horror movie, I'd be fine with it because uh, it's so good. Yeah, and, and I he's was, so good. I was really thinking about buying this, that mask for Halloween a year back or something, but I... Uh yeah, di didn't yet. <laughs> you decided you didn't like cool things in your life, so you were like, "I, <laughs> no, I don't it, want this awesome mask." <laughs> it it really it, it's so awesome, and uh, yet it's really sad because that director, like he he hasn't really done anything. He made like a documentary, Truth in Numbers, everything according to Wikipedia, and then another uh, a drama called The Truth Below that no one that I never heard of in two thousand eleven. And like there's talks about be before the mask, which is the, the official title. Uh, there has been talks for years, and it's still official on IM uh, on IMDb. Got Kate Hodder as uh, as a character uh, in the cast, but I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, I would I would love to see it, I mean, yeah. especially if he took the time and made something that's just as interesting or even if he made a straight horror movie i would be okay with that too yeah because i would like more in this world i i like the world of leslie vernon yeah and the um we gotta say the the main uh, actor nathan basil he did an amazing job as leslie vernon he's like really oh, for um, sure yeah, he's, he's very believable yeah yeah very he, believable and he's usually doing tv stuff so he's he's not a big actor as well but he was like really good in that one. Like you, you believed him to be this guy, right? And so, since since we just talked about behind the mask, um, there's another movie that <clears throat> is really similar, and I'm I'm pretty sure they have to at least that the, the the people who made behind the mask have to at least have seen this movie. It's um, Man Bites Dog from Oh uh, yes. I think it's uh, the 70s or 80s. Uh, it's a Belgian or no, the 90s even. It's a 90s movie from Belgium uh, where it's an actual camera crew following just a, <laughs> your run of the mill serial killer. Not, not a scary horror movie serial killer, but just like this guy who's really charismatic. He's a nice guy. People like him and the camera crew are following him around as he's actually like killing random people and showing them their best his best plans it's also a dark comedy it's it's got it's lots a very of, dark comedy yeah yeah it's it's got lots of similarities to behind the mask where you like you you see the the characters uh the the documentary crew after a while actually joining the the bad guy right yeah i would say more in man bites dog than leslie vernon they get involved yeah. with with what's going on yeah, and, 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 and Man Bites Dog, it is, it's got a Criterion edition that you can find of it. It's a very well-received movie for anybody who hasn't seen it. But I would say, I would title it as dark comedy. Like, I would start with comedy because there's so much, 
I don't even know if I should laugh at it, but there's so much that's hilarious in Man Bites Dog. Yeah, like when he's when he's in the in the house of this of this older woman and he talks to her, and then he just uh, I think he he wants to sell her something is what he said, and then he just uh, really scares her, and because he knew she has heart medication, right? And so he he just scares <laughs> her, and she she dies of shock, and he says that's how it's cleaner and the easiest way. <laughs> if you can give him a heart attack, that's yeah. the best way to go. And yeah, it was 92 was the year this came out. It is, it's available in quite a few places. If anybody wants to watch it, I, it's not a hard movie to find. And like you said, it was a Belgium movie, the land of my people, or at least my grandfather's people. Um, but yeah, Man Bites Dog is fantastic. I can't pronounce his name. Maybe you can. The uh, The guy that plays Ben, the the killer, he's really good. Let me see. I, I I try my best. I haven't looked the movie up actually. Man bites dog. Uh, it's probably a French name. Uh, okay, it no. is uh, Benoit Paul Vorde, I would say. Okay, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but Man bites dog is wonderful, wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful movie. And it's another one of those where like the the main the main guys actually for the most part have the have their own names at least the first name. So, like, Benoit Pelwade is Ben. Uh, then there's uh, Jenny Dry plays Jenny. Malou Madou plays Malou. And so... Uh, yeah, I think some of them were his actual family. I think when they made this, they did it on a shoestring budget Ooh, and did it for be. almost... Yeah, did it for almost nothing. I was looking at uh, what the estimated... But, yeah, it was a million dollars. They made wow. the entire thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's actually also credited as one of the directors. Uh, yeah, the, the lead Benoit Pelwade. Such a weird little movie, but such a a great movie. And you know, '92, we were kind of at that turning point where we were going to start getting into the guerrilla filmmaking. Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino and all these guys were just starting to make their come up in the world. Yeah. So this this definitely fits into, or he would be right in line with those guys in making this movie because you could see it. It's a really good movie. It's got some great dialogue. It's a really bizarre premise, but you can yeah. kind of see that uh, that association there. And since we're talking about low-budget movies, guerrilla filmmaking, and the 90s, that's like the perfect way to just <laughs> jump right into uh, the, the last movie that, that we talked about right away. It's The Player Witch Project, which is... Yes. Yeah, it's, it's almost like... Yeah, it, it's about a team making a documentary and then going missing and then the footage uh, coming back out. So this works more than I, I'd say uh, when we'd say we, we could talk about um, uh, the paranormal activity movies. Those are more just found footage. Yeah, those one, really aren't. This one, they were making a documentary. <coughs> their, yeah. their goal was to go out into Burkittsville, Maryland, <clears throat> out into the woods and make a documentary about the so-called Blair Witch. What made this movie work, though, so incredibly well was the marketing behind yeah. the movie. The marketing because they made the whole thing for, I think, $50,000, $60,000 and made hundreds of millions in return, which is a good return on investment. That's yeah. the kind of return you want to see. Yeah, that that's uh, what uh, later on uh, the, um, uh, the the biggest horror studio right now based his own, uh, the whole... Uh, premise of just make low budget movies and get lots of money out of it yeah what, what's their name again i can't Blum, think of blumhouse blumhouse yeah <laughs> yeah and it's something that guys have been doing for a long time you're roger corman's of the world 
his book, like how I made all these movies in Hollywood and never lost a dime. <laughs> they would just go out there and just start making movies. Even if the cops showed up, they're like, hey, just put the cops in the shot. <laughs> just <laughs> keep keep filming no matter what you do. But this one proved, okay, you could make a movie for almost nothing <coughs> and then make a ton of money, see a huge return on investment with the movie. But it was the the marketing behind it. And even at Sundance, they had listed all the actors as deceased or missing. There were documentaries on the discovery channel about the Blair witch in Burkittsville, Maryland. Yeah. And there was the, actually like, uh, I, I actually watched that documentary that it's on the DVD. I have, there's a documentary about the people going missing in the, uh, yeah. In the movie where they actually like interviewed family members and friends so smart. I mean, it's brilliant. It is a brilliant approach to marketing. Be, yeah. I remember it coming out and not knowing what was real and what wasn't. If there, if there actually was a a Blair Witch, if these people were truly missing, if this was just a movie, because it opens up. There's no title cards, no credits, and even it ends the same way. There's nothing. You yeah, don't. You don't get anything from it. And like seeing this in the in the theater. Um, or even worse, I'd say, is seeing this on like um, VHS, yeah. yeah, just just on TV at home on a DVD on a on a video cassette at a time. I think that's what made people actually for a short time believe this was real. Yeah, <coughs> which was smart. I mean, it was so it was it was brilliant marketing. The movie itself, I think, is still really effective. I love the Blair Witch. Yeah, it really I think works. It's, yeah, I mean, it's the subtlety, the simplicity of the rock piles and the little things hanging in the trees, the noises out in the woods. It's it's everything that... And you had these actors who were really subjected to harsh conditions and being out in the woods for all this time. So I believe the tension that you see in some of the performances is probably real. Yeah, I, I watched the movie. Like, we, we did an episode not too long ago about the whole franchise. Um yeah. And for that, I think I watched a movie with audio commentary by the by the directors, and they would literally just put the people out in the woods and say, "Okay, so tonight something is gonna happen. Just go with it." And like we we give you this route where you should go, follow these kind of roads, and um, so it, these, these actors were really in harsh conditions. They really hated each other after a while. Most of the fights were, I think, not. I think they actually planned on having someone. One of the other guys, uh, the other guy the, being the bad guy, but it just worked out the way that the asshole was an asshole. <laughs> yeah, because there was Josh, Michael, and Heather. Yeah, and Josh was Michael's the one who's the dick who threw the map in the the water, where she's like, "Where's the map?" And he's like, oh, "I just chucked it. I got rid of it. Yeah. I just said, yeah, that was it." And then Josh was the first one to get lost when they can hear him out in the woods screaming like, "Help me!" Like yeah. Josh. Josh, Josh. And of course you get the the booger face that has been parodied so many times <laughs> yeah. since the Blair Witch, but the movie still, it still works. It's still a great movie and it's a great example of movie making within a movie, even if this one's more of a documentary style, yeah. which a lot of these are now that I'm thinking about it. Scream 3 is the only one where they're on a soundstage and that's most likely just due to cost. The, the, you know, to make a movie and have an entire soundstage built for your movie costs money. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, $60,000 isn't going to cover, <coughs> cover all of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Uh, yeah, and since we're talking about the Player Witch Project, we can also take a quick detour to uh, to Spain, where they made Wreck a few years later. Oh, which yeah. Is, it's not about making a movie, but they're making a TV show when things are going crazy. So it kind of counts. I just wanted to give it a shout out because really it's a great zombie movie and a great found footage movie. It is. And I would encourage people to watch if you haven't seen them, make sure you watch the Spanish wreck because they did a quarantine. Yeah. That was an English language adaptation, which is fine, but it's still not as good as that. Yeah, I that still haven't first seen one. that one. Yeah. And there's three wreck sequels. I want to say there's I, two, I think, three, yeah, and there's, four. There's, there's yeah. four movies. And I, I still know that in in the end, like I have only seen the first two movies, but like in the fourth one, it looks like a big action movie. And the main it actress is. from the first yeah. movie, she's like a badass. Yeah. yeah. And, and she's just a normal TV reporter who uh, was in the building when uh, the zombie outbreak happened. So, But that, that happens in all movies. Think about like Die Hard, where he was just a, a pretty tough detective who turns into like a badass action hero by the time you get to the fourth movie. That's it true. just happens that way. It is what it is. Yeah. And so uh, I, I've got uh, three more movies on my list. Uh, or two? Uh, yeah, two, two and a half, I'd say. Um, uh, before we get to one cut of the dead. Um, because you just said that there's uh, most of these are movies, uh, um, found footage movies, uh, where they are making a documentary. But I've got a few more uh, about making movies that we should talk about. Uh, one of all, uh, first of all, is Shadow of the Vampire. Oh, nice! Yeah, I didn't even think about Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah, me neither. But uh, when I when I looked for uh, a movie, a horror movies about making movies, this was in it, and yeah, it fits perfectly because it's about well, it's yeah, it's about the making of Nosferatu, Nosferatu. from the twenties, but um, starring uh, Willem Dafoe as an actual vampire because right. instead of casting just normal Max Shrek and putting on makeup, um, they actually cast a vampire. <laughs> Which a lot of... There's a lot of people who speculate <coughs> like Max Shrek was... He could have possibly truly been a vampire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you look at him in this movie, yeah. and then knowing that Max Shrek, that Shrek is actually German for, like, fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you had some other great cast in there. You had John Malkovich... And you said Willem Dafoe, um, Udo Kier, who you had mentioned before, is just so good yeah, in, in just everything. about everything. Uh, Carrie Elwes shows up for a while there. It's a it's a fun movie, I would say, primarily because Dafoe does such a good job. Yeah, he's great in it. Yeah, he's amazing. And you had uh, Malkovich was good too. You know, like keep the camera rolling <laughs> yeah. as they're as they're going. And so I, I got behind say, the scenes. The the idea is really good of just like okay, yeah, we're shooting a vampire movie, and look at him. We actually cast a vampire because that's the only thing that makes sense with this movie. Right. Yeah. Max Shrek still is like probably one of the scariest images ever. Is his appearance in Nosferatu. Like even even people who say they don't like old movies, they are scared of him when they see him. Right. Yeah. He. I mean, he really is a, a terrifying looking figure, and I didn't even think about that. That's a good poll, man. Yeah, That's a really and, good poll. Uh, the last one where you could say there's two or at least three of those uh, is um, King Kong, which is about oh, a crew, yeah. uh, a documentary crew traveling to Skull Island to film the. King Kong, the big monkey. 
But were they? What were they trying to make? I can't remember what they were trying to make. I, I think they were. They wanted to make a documentary about the okay. travel to Skull Island and about this King Kong. They wanted to capture him on, on film. I just remember for sure they cast like uh, Faye Ray as an actress to join them. That's right. They, yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly because they were shooting like actual uh, footage on the boat. I think, especially in the. Um, in the uh, Peter Jackson version, like so. Yeah, they had her up on the main deck, and they were outside filming things. <coughs> you know, and is King Kong a a horror movie? Is it a monster movie? How do you how do you qualify? It's King a great Kong, movie. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. It is a great movie. Yeah, a very great movie. So uh, yeah, that's that. That was just a quick shout out because it's yeah, like you said, it's not really fully a horror movie, even though you can talk about it in a horror sense because King Kong is one of the first big monsters. Absolutely, yeah. If not the first, truly, I mean, kind of giant on-screen monster. Yeah, true. Like if, if we're you going had by- some weird, yeah, you had some weird stuff with dinosaurs started doing some stop motion things, but as far as or maybe the Gollum, but he wasn't that big. But yeah. he was kind of a, a monster on screen. So yeah, King Kong. Yeah. All right. So now for anyone who hasn't seen One Cut of the Dead, just go. So I think this, you can yeah. get shut up for free for two weeks to test it. That's enough to watch <laughs> the movie. That is enough to watch it. And this is one that this is the re- whole reason we're talking about this <laughs> stuff to begin with. Yeah. You had, I had had it in my queue on Shutter for a while, just based on the cover art alone. I was like, okay, what is this? <laughs> and so I added it, but I was just, you know, whenever I got to it, I was going to get to it. You sent me a message and you're like, oh, if you haven't seen this, just just watch it as soon as possible. And I thought I knew what it was, but I did not. <laughs> I did not know what it was. And that, that's, that's the beauty of this. So once again, please turn off the podcast now if you haven't seen it. Yes. And uh, we're going to go into spoilers right away. So I I was um I was talking to to Temba who watched the uh, uh, Twilight Zone with me as well and she said like have you heard of this movie um it's it's one where people really hated it and walked out of the theater but if you stay exactly 37 minutes it all makes sense. Yeah. And I and I was like okay no I haven't but I'd be so down to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's okay so the movie opens up. So what I believed going into this movie was that I was going to get a zombie movie that was all in one take, yeah. which I'm always game to watch. Whenever somebody accomplishes, it was like that really bad shock movie that I watched not long ago, Pig, that was, I mean, it was hyper violent and stuff like that, but I could watch it just from the technical side. Anytime you do everything in one shot, I'm super impressed. Like, that's amazing that you did that. And so that's what I thought I was getting with One Cut of the Dead. And as you said, for the first 37 minutes, that's what you get. You get a a zombie movie that is all one take. They film it in an abandoned Japanese, like a World War II, some sort of World War II facility. Yeah. And it was, it was a great building. Like, that was that was a perfect movie to, uh, uh, house to make a one-shot yeah. uh, zombie movie. And... Uh, Yes, yeah, so it it was kind of weird in in like lots of ways. Like all, all throughout, I I was already like nitpicking what's going on because like there's there's a scene where they're like just having a, a prolonged conversation about nothing basically, 
And right, yeah. She's telling her, like, look at my good moves. My hobby is self-defense. <laughs> and pum! And then yeah. she puts her hands up. Pum! <laughs> and you're right. You have this these long sequences and really horrible acting at the beginning of it. Where you've got the... But we're introduced to the director who's now a character in One Cut of the Dead. The title of this thing is One Cut of the Dead. So you have the director who's yelling at the actors. He seems like a full-on lunatic. And the actors kind of go off on their own, talking. Then we get this exposition that you can do this ritual up here to bring real zombies back. And for the rest of these first 37 minutes in the movie... It's the director kind of pushing the zombies towards the actors. He seems crazy. Like, he just wants to make the movie. Real zombies or yeah. not. If real people are dying, this is going to be his magnum opus. He's making the greatest thing he's ever made. And so you get this fight between all the characters, zombies versus real zombies versus the actors that are in One Cut of the Dead. And the movie opens up with only or finishes with only our final girl at the end. And this is where I got thrown for a loop. I was like, wait, what the fuck? Like, there's still 50 minutes of this movie. What's going on? Yeah. Why are the credits rolling? And because you get a full credit <coughs> sequence at the end. You get the full rolling credits that wrap everything up. Yeah, the full rolling, rolling credits, then the, the name of the movie, and then another opening credits where you see the faces <laughs> of the people. Like, right, right back to back. And, and you're like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it really is like, okay, what are we doing here? Yeah. And, and then you get... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and... um. All, all throughout, uh, you you already get little hints that there, something isn't right. So it's it's already interesting enough that this is actually it would fit even if we're not talking about the spoiler section. It will already fit into our criterion of movies about making a movie. Yes, <laughs> and yeah, so, it fit uh, perfectly. But there, there's so many scenes like you like I was wondering a few times: is the cameraman one of the people, or is it a f a floating character uh, camera that's Right. making this movie and i think even the people in the movie weren't sure because sometimes they talk to the camera but most of the time it's ignored and like there's no person there and there's lots of weird uh, things going on especially towards the end when the woman with the with the um x in her head stands <laughs> she up gets back up <laughs> yeah and, and screams and uh yeah but then it's over we, we get the credits and then suddenly the production value increases a lot. By tenfold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very good looking movie now. And we have, I think the first sequence might have been in their house with the, the director, his wife. And and so we, we learn that the director is married to the woman who's starring in One Cut, not starring, but one of one the of women in, yeah, one of the women in One Cut of the Dead. And that his daughter is a big film head. And I love all her T-shirts. She had like a Shining T-shirt on. And then she had some other really good one, uh, Taxi Driver T-shirt on. Yeah, and I think the Shining, she had one. Yeah, yeah, she had the Shining. And she's talking about Goodfellas, you know, mentioning all of these different things. So yeah. she's super into movies. And he gets approached by a film company a that they're creating it was a studio they're creating a new channel a zombie channel for japanese tv yeah and to help Which, launch the channel they're going to do this show called one cut of the dead that's going to be filmed one cut it's going to be live and it's going to be shown immediately on television so it's going to be real time yeah. as people are watching this and they ask him do you think you can accomplish doing this 
can you make this happen? And I think he first says no, there's no way. But then he yeah. he he gets into it and he <laughs> says, okay, I'm I'm gonna do it. And so what's what's also really funny is that now this guy that we started to hate in the first 30 minutes of this movie because he was really the villain of the movie. Um, he's suddenly this really nice guy and like so uh, likable. So likable. Yeah, he's like <laughs> yeah. he's like suddenly our lead and like uh, we love him right away. He's yeah, he's our protagonist now. He goes from <laughs> antagonist to protagonist. I mean literally within a couple of minutes. Yeah. And and he did it so well. He acted that so good that you you believe it and you're like, "Oh, wow. Yeah, like great. Like this guy, yeah. okay, he was just acting that whole that whole first beginning of this thing." Yeah, exactly. And uh yeah, then, then we go on and we basically for the for the rest of the movie well, it's it's three parts basically. The first part is the fake movie. Then mm-hmm. the second part is the whole setting up and planning this uh, this film shoot. Uh, so we 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 get to see like the the casting process and like uh, the the writing process, getting all these people, setting everything up, already doing like uh, dry runs in like uh, another facility where they're just like trying, is it possible to film? We meet all these characters, like on the one hand, yeah, the guy and his family, but also um, the, the rest of the team, like the, the camera guy who's got back problems right from the beginning of the movie. <laughs> right. This this one guy who's just always drunk and just a bad always alcoholic. hammered drunk, and you got the other guy when they're in the reading room and they're sitting down to do the reading. First off, the joke with the baby was fantastic, where the woman brings in her crying baby, because it went right with the lines of the movie. Like they almost fit in with, "I can't take it anymore. Do we need to take a break?" And you've got this wah wah <laughs> over in the corner, but yeah. the other guy, he they set him up to where. He can't have, I think it was, he needed special water because yeah, if he drank certain water, water right, he would shit himself. Yeah. And, and that's, he, that's he's scene. the worst character in the movie. He's like, just, he, I told you, I need this. I told you that. <laughs> but when they're actually making the movie and he's in the bushes pooping and crying at the same time, he's like, don't, don't look at me. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. So, yeah. but, but to back up to where you were at. They're now preparing, like you said, to figure out how to do it. So they're getting the motions with the the camera guy, with people throwing body parts out from behind the camera, like a severed arm or setting up the dummy when the, the end of one cut of the dead where she's going to cut his head off. They're bringing the dummy in. So now you're getting a behind-the-scenes look at how you would even perform this to begin with. How everything that we saw the first time around was done you start to see that unfold, but then we get even deeper to when they actually execute it, and that is where this movie shines. Yeah. Oh, it shines so bright. Because you get all of these, all the weird shit they had to do on the fly in order to make it work. Like I said, the guy that was pooping, hilarious. The drunk guy, when the director's behind him holding his, yeah. he's got him like, they're like rigged together with a belt. <laughs> so he's almost using him like a giant puppet. And he's holding him up to the door, doing all these different things. Oh, it was brilliant, man. It was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, exactly. And all all the scenes suddenly make sense. Like this, this one right. guy 
this this one guy just uh, just getting up and running out was not because he was scared of zombies or any other reason. No, he had to shit him <laughs> <Right>. back. <laughs> and then they decided on the fly to make him come back as a zombie now. And yeah, because she's putting the makeup on him while he's pooping. That's when he's crying. She's, <laughs> she's, he's like, we don't have time. You just got to do it now. And so he's in the bushes pooping and she's putting the makeup all over his face. And then we learn that the director's wife, who is the one with the self-defense, the palm, palm, she gets so deep into her roles that she had to quit acting. She was an actress before. But she cause she broke a guy's arm, I think, is how they explained yeah. it on a different on a different project. She loses it. And now she really is acting like all these people are zombies. So they're trying to stop her from actually hurting people while still filming this movie at the same time. Yeah. And that's when she jumps up at the end, yeah, with the axe in her head, like, what's going on? Yeah. And then he he pulls her down and like chokes her out or something like that. Yeah, and we, we but, gotta add that uh the the woman and the director, they were actually not supposed to be in the movie. But right. like the the two actors playing them uh, uh, were in a car crash and couldn't make it on time, and so the, the the question was: Do we just say okay, we can't do it, we have to cancel, or do we just pull through? And then they pulled through, and because there's this idea behind it that they have to do it live and it's going to be live streamed, that's why that that brings the stakes to it, where they really have to get it done in one shot. Yeah, because they usually don't have a when choice. you get a one one take movie, it's most of the time. It's really like um, they usually you read like they do two or three or four takes and then take the best one, but with this one they they had to do it in the first take because it was live. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this other scene where there's uh, where the camera is just falling down and for a long time nothing happens and the camera just lays there, which looks perfect. Like it's it's actually working for the movie, but then <laughs> we see what actually happened is that the camera guy. Uh, following them fell down and couldn't get up because his back was hurting <laughs> right but and that, that's also where this movie shines is setting up all these things happening far in advance like we we see from the very beginning there's on the one hand there's the camera guy and on the other hand there's this girl who's like his his right hand who who's really into camera tricks and wants to do it and then so i knew when when we were first introduced to her, she's gonna take over the camera at some point. Right. And yeah, it was exactly that scene where the camera falls down and then yeah, she, she picks grabs it, up. it. She just grabs it and starts running with it. Yeah, and then and you suddenly so many... we get the zooms that she talks about in the very beginning that she wants to do them. <laughs> right. And and the oh yeah, the fast zooms in on people. And even the little shit like when our main actress is in the shed. And they're like, well, what the fuck do we do now? We need somebody to get the axe. And they're like, okay, tell her that there's an axe outside to pick it up. Because even in the, the first movie, the actual one cut of the dead, when she picks it up and she's like, an axe. Oh, lucky me. <laughs> it feels really weird. But then you're watching it. You're like, oh, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. Because there, there's somebody standing behind this zombie leg that we see in the frame with cue cards that say, go pick up the axe that's outside. Make sure you grab that axe. you got to have it for the next scene. Also, that, that, that's another scene that in the movie makes no sense in the in the short right. movie where there's just suddenly like a zombie like standing there and she looks at him sc all scared for like a minute and then he walks out again right and she grabs the axe and the the director's super into it you have the kind of studio heads that are watching this live at the same time so you're getting that view while all this is going on and when we finally get to the end of this thing i don't know if it was just me but i thought it was so heartwarming with all of them building the human pyramid because yeah. the crane had broke. They had this final, this great final shot planned. 
They were going to put the camera on a crane, lift it up, give us a cool bird's eye view of this blood pentagram on the ground with her standing in it. And then it says one cut of the dead across there. And I was like, man, that's all these people came together to do this thing. And it was it, it, they ended up making it work one way or another. Yeah, it, it, it really was heartwarming. And also the, the whole ending part with um, with her then like she was a bit the, the daughter of the director was a bit estranged from her father. Like they they kind of weren't as close as they used to be. And then at the end, we see that uh, he had the picture, picture of her oh, on his, uh, on so his shoulders. Good. And that's yeah. exactly what they did in this in, in the end, where she was sitting on his shoulders to hold the camera because they were the crane. And Right. Yeah. And then the movie ends, and you get even more behind the scenes of them actually filming this whole thing. Yeah, the, the, which, the, the real one shot, because the one we see is not what they actually filmed. That would have been right. way too hard. No, so they actually filmed the movie with all the mistakes to then make it's 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 it's, it's mind it's, blowing. It really is, but somehow they made it work in in the best way possible. The movie's fantastic. I I want to go back. I watch it again probably in the next couple of months. I'm sure I'll go back and watch it again because now knowing where it's all going, I want to see it and and just. The the art form that went into this, the just the thought process of I can't imagine trying to put this down on paper. Yeah. Like we have this and then this and then this. Like you're building so many different layers of a movie. And this isn't a horror movie at all. No, well, for the, the most first part. half hour is and then Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's always for the most part, it feels like almost straight comedy once you get to the to the end of it. And it's almost a love letter to <coughs> filmmaking and when i talked about it on those movie guys they said you know i think jason bromley sometimes phil would really like this jason bromley being a filmmaker himself i think if you are any kind of a filmmaker you understand what they're going through like all the little problems you run into along the way yeah nothing ever goes off perfectly smoothly and this movie captures it better than maybe any i've ever seen before yeah it's <clears throat> it's really a great movie it's so much fun <clears throat> and yeah if you're expecting this to be a totally different movie like if you're going into this um well i think most of the people saw this at like festivals at first so when people walked out it was probably people who thought this was a, a high-end movie and then they watched the first 37 minutes where it's just like a, a bad it it's a good one shot but it's a bad zombie movie basically right right and uh then from that scene suddenly there's a there's a transition and it's a whole other movie. And then it's actually turning out to be a great movie that you could recommend to anyone, not just to horror fans. Yeah. It's because the the ending makes the beginning so much better. Because yeah. you 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 now understand. And like I said, all the jokes and everything they had to overcome while making this thing. The drunk guy, the pooping man, his <laughs> wife going crazy, and she keeps doing that palm when they're grabbing onto her. Yeah, when they're trying this, to carry some palm and going <laughs> right, on. She's got this escape move. That keeps her um, keeps her on her feet. Such a great movie. Sad that it took me this long to watch it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Same here. I was so glad. I, I heard about it from Temba and just decided to watch it. And yeah, it's it's great. It's a recommendation if you still haven't seen it, even though we told you to watch it before listening to this part. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And it looks like I'm looking at the the director right now. So he's only had a couple things. It looks like everything before this, even though his very first thing in 2011 was called Rice and Boobs. 
<laughs> which I don't know. I don't know what that is. Um, but it looks like he has a couple things coming up that should be this year. There's a couple shorts, but then Aesop's Game and Special Actors. So I'm interested to see. I don't know if he wrote it. Was he the writer of One Cut of the Dead? Let's, let's uh, see. Yeah. yeah, he was. But it looks like it was based on a play. So this was a screenplay that was adapted from a play. Yeah, Ghost in the Box. Now I, I got to look that up real quick. <laughs> yeah, to see if that... Um, but One Cut of the Dead absolutely is worth a watch. If you have not seen it, man, you're, <sighs> you need to get on that because it was so much fun. Just so much fun. All right, man. That's... Uh, did you have anything else? Any other of your... I think you said you got all your special mentions. Yeah, I got all of them out. <laughs> so. um, I do want to read this. Okay, so <laughs> this is amazing. His the, the write-up for Rice and Boobs says, What would you choose between Rice and Boobs if one of these two would disappear from the world forever? <laughs> the most boring debate in human history starts now. <laughs> I, I want to see that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and even the, the the title or the cover art is amazing. It's just like a very basic looking boob and then a very basic looking ball of rice in a bowl. Uh, the poster is fantastic. <laughs> I want that poster with the Japanese writing on it and everything because it's amazing. <laughs> I, I want that uh, poster for my room. <laughs> I know. It's got a 2.2 out of 10 on IMDb, but I don't give a shit. I want to watch it anyway. Yeah, that's probably I'm, people watching it for the first 10 minutes and then turning it off. <laughs> right. So I want to see what this guy's all about. Um, all right. So if you want to get into contact with us, IHOH Podcast and all the social media platforms, or you can email us, IHOHpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about, anything you want us to review, maybe a, a subject matter for us. And as always, if you would jump onto Apple Podcasts and leave a rate and review, those are very important. They are podcasting gold. So if you could take a couple minutes, completely free for you to do, and make that happen for us, we would greatly appreciate it. And that's it, man. You got anything uh, Anything else? No, I'm, I'm looking where I can find rice and boobs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so for the International House of Horrors podcast, I've been Joe Merle. And I've been Josh. And we'll be back next week with more things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre.